Hey there, I'm Sarah Rosina, and I'm your host, along with my co-host, Sean Blackshear of What's Your Take Media Podcast. Hey, do you love movies? I know I do. I'm actually like a movie nerd. I'm always bringing up movie lines with my friends, connecting other actors with other actors, and I consider myself kind of like a movie critic. So much so, I decided to create a podcast dedicated to the movies and television shows you and I love. My co-host, Sean, and I will be critiquing new and classic movies and television shows from all over the world. Subscribe today to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Go ahead. Make my day. Hey, yo, you shaking it out with the one and only K.I.D., the Ken Capri. And you were listening to Macchiato's Music and Scriptures podcast with Martinez, making it happen. Yo, Martinez, you know what to do, man. Make sure you deliver it, all right? Take them on out of here, kid. One. Around the world, they drink this beverage in its many exotic forms. Half coffee and half hot milk. I praise the Lord and keep the faith. Sipping my macchiato, gotta get my cream up. I do this for Christ, boy. This ain't for the culture. Believe the scripture. Thank you for tuning in to Macchiato's Music and the Scriptures. I am your host, Martinez. Please subscribe to these podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can send your emails to podcasting at mmsmedia.org. And you can also follow me on social media at mbills314. Now, yet again, I told you all that I'm trying to expand myself. I'm trying to expand my reach. And so I'm stepping out and I'm doing more interviews. And in honor of Black History Month, I have the opportunity to interview the first black female referee of the NFL, Miss Maya Shaka. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, thank you. I hope you can say the same. Yes, yes, all is well. Um, It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Um, thankful that you were able to join us. I know it's been a busy season. The NFL just ended. And, um, you know, with the Super Bowl, and I don't know if you know this or not, but I am here in St. Louis, Missouri. So it is bittersweet that the Rams won the Super Bowl. I am technically still a fan. I've been a fan for over 20 years, but it's, it, it's still a little hard. You know what I'm saying? They kind of moved back to L.A. So, of course, um, most people in the city ain't with it. So I'm definitely a minority fan still, but... Um, how did you enjoy the Super Bowl? How did that? Were you able to attend at all, or were you at home? No, I, I attended it from home, like like most people did. Okay, uh, but I enjoyed it. You know, it was a good, it was a great game. You yeah. know, I think, I think they had a lot of great playoff games yeah. this year, yeah. and you know, just made if you didn't if you're not a fan of football, you know, this playoff season probably made you fall in love with it. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I loved it. Um, Rams made me a little nervous, but. We push through, but that's enough of that. You know, let's get let's get into you because this is Black History Month again. And I don't know if you may not recognize yourself as this, but I can sit. You are definitely in the history now of Black History. So twenty years, thirty years, or even years from now, when people discuss Black History, do you realize that you would be in that book? You know, I really don't think it. It, it still really hasn't hit me. Yeah. Just because I'm living in it, yeah. and you know. I don't consider anything that I'm doing special. Mm-hmm. I know that other people do, and and I realize the platforms I have and the responsibility that I have. Yeah. Um, but for me, I'm just enjoying the moment. I'm enjoying going out there, being able to work, 
um, to a lot of people who just don't have that privilege of just being able to work. Yeah. So I'm just enjoying that. So, but yeah. Maybe in about 20 or 30 years, I step <laughs> off the field. Yeah. You know, when the pressure's off a little bit, you Absolutely. can really enjoy it, right? Absolutely. And um, that's something I always say, like I was doing like a black history segment and I was saying, you know, for black history, even though we discuss um, a lot of our uh, ancestors and black inventors, you know, I made the statement that, you know, the book on black history hasn't been closed. Like it's still open. It's still opportunities for us to, um, you know, make things happen. Still laws that need to be changed, still inventions that still need to be invented. There are still so many different things, and opportunities that um, we can do. So I just want to congratulate you. Um, I know we just begin the interview, but I want to beforehand just congratulate you for your induction <laughs> into the into as I would say the the Black History book. Um, it's definitely a blessing. Just to, when I saw the announcement uh, on the internet and uh, saw your picture everywhere, I was just like, wow! And that was something I never even realized. I'm like, wow, we never had a a black female uh, referee. So that was interesting. I, and I wanted to reach out to you just to talk a little bit about yourself and your upbringing. I know that you are uh, born and raised in, in Rochester, New York. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And how was, um, tell me a little bit, just going back, if you can, uh, what was your upbringing like in Rochester? Uh, did you grow up in like a, a sports family or how, how was that? I don't really think I came up in a sports family, but neither one of my parents played sports. Mm-hmm. But my grandfather, my mother's father, mm-hmm. he was heavy into sports, and that's all he did. He watched sports. He watched football, baseball, basketball, boxing, anything that was on ESPN, that's what he did. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, it was just, I was just a, a kid that used to love to go outside and play. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care what it was. Like, I would play, I don't know, wagons, <laughs> play football, whatever, anything just to be out the house. Yeah. And my parents never discouraged me from that. They never said, you can't play this or you can't do that because you're a girl yeah. or wear a dress because you're a girl. They they let me do whatever made me happy. And I think that's really important, you know, when you're talking about parenting and especially, you know, early childhood development, you want to make sure that your children are happy. That's what my parents did a really good job doing that for me at a young age. Yeah. Well, that's a blessing. And that is very good to hear. So where did the, the motivation come from? Like, did you, you know, just kind of skipping a little ahead? Well, I do know that you, you got a degree and you went to uh, Virginia, College of Virginia. Is that correct? Yeah, I went, went to a Norfolk State University. Okay, yeah, Norfolk State University. Shout got, out to you. Yeah, got to show love for the HBCUs. There you go. HBCUs all the way. Yeah, we yeah. have a HBCU here in St. Louis, um, Harris-Stowe State University. So that was something that I inspired to do is go to HBCU. But how I was doing at that time, I said, you know, I think even going to a college would be too much of a distraction for me. So let me just go straight <laughs> to radio school. And that's what I did. But um <laughs> But I've I had aspirations of going to uh, Clark Atlanta University because okay. my aunt lives in Atlanta. So, yeah, shout out to all the HBCUs. Um, how was it like going? Th- I mean, do you feel like um, attending the HBCU kind of changed, like helped you out in ways that you think a- another university probably couldn't? I think one of the beautiful things about HBCUs is the amount of representation mm-hmm. that we have to see so many black professionals. Yeah. And that's empowering mm-hmm. um, in itself. You know, growing up, the representation that we have with you probably were a fan maybe it was like a different world like that's that's yeah. what we saw and that's what really yeah. made me want to go to HBCU yeah. but then my parents also had that bookstore where they were very dominant mm-hmm. like in black culture and not even just black culture but anything that was non-European like yeah. not that anything was wrong with European but that was what was dominant on the media wave right so they exposed us to all cultures um Hispanic 
uh, Indian, mm-hmm. you name it, Greek, whatever it was, we were exposed to it. But they they were just really adamant about going to continue your college somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, a lot of the Greeks, like the Divine Nine, would come in and they would have their meetings in the store. And they would talk about HBCUs and the importance of network. So we were, I was exposed to that culture at a young age. Yeah. And so I knew that was something that where I wanted to continue my education was at HBCU. HBCU. And um, what did you get your, what was your major in? I majored in health and physical education. Health and physical so education. Ma- majored in that uh-huh. and enjoyed it. Yeah, and then it's to my understanding that you were, and we can talk about it a little later on, but you were a, um, a physical education teacher? A high school? Uh, yeah. Was that's, a high school? That, that's, cor- that's correct. I taught health and physical straight out of college uh, for I would say for 15 years wow. 14 years and then I'm still I'm still in education now I'm just not in the, the classroom anymore yeah um right now I'm working for a nonprofit that partners with education mm. that partners with, with schools mm-hmm. and um we pretty much help to bridge that gap and provide educational equity and this is a nonprofit so. that you started no, I, well, this is not one I started. This, I do have one of. Yeah, okay. But this is this is just one that I work I work, I work with, and we okay. target specifically underserved communities. Mm-hmm. And it was just a great opportunity for me to continue my passion yeah. of being in touch with the youth and allow myself flexibility because you know it's really hard. Yeah. You know when you're officiating six months out the year, mm-hmm. you know to be a consistent classroom teacher, and you're you know you have an obligation to students. And so the new position that I took is a success coordinator where I pretty much coach students and try to make them be the best versions of them that they can be to make them successful and help them graduate. I love that. That's needed. That is absolutely needed. Um, So tell us a little bit about your transition into becoming a referee. Like, and I'm totally ignorant of this. So I want you to kind of walk me through it as much as you can and walk our listeners through it. Uh, I guess, number one, tell us. Um, what made you decide to become a referee and what is the process like of even becoming a referee on that level? Is it like a camp you go to? Is it like, you know, how you have police trainers, like you got to go through this and that before you do that? Like what's the process of even refereeing on that level? Like, and what made you want to do that? So first of all, I want to become an official so I can boss men around. Okay. No, I'm lying. <laughs> that's not, That's funny. That is not the truth. Um, no, I, I've always had a had a drive for athletics, and I didn't continue my basketball career when I went to college because, mm-hmm. you know, women athletes didn't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it's really rare that you can really support yourself. You can you'll make end up making more money. You know, having a regular job with a with a degree, a teaching degree, which is sad, yeah. but that's the reality of it, right? Um, and so I always wanted to be able to get back into athletics somehow. I just know I didn't want to coach because I knew how time consuming it would be. Yeah. And so I just thought about officiating. And I had a friend of mine who was who I was actually uh, teaching with in high school in Virginia Beach. He was another PE teacher with me. He's the one that introduced me to football officiating. Mm. And he just he encouraged me to do it. And what's so crazy about it is he doesn't look like me at all. He's a white male, <laughs> and that was that's probably the last person that you think you right. know. And I'm bringing that up because that that's a huge thing now. Like especially mm-hmm. I'm dealing with a lot of a lot of youth, and they're afraid to step outside their comfort zone and to talk to someone that doesn't look like them. Like them yeah. But this this is someone who doesn't look like me at all. We don't listen to the same music at all. Mm-hmm. We're complete opposites. The only thing we have in common is we love athletics. Yeah. 
And so he saw that in me and, you know, he really got behind me 100% and taught me in the officiate high school football. Mm-hmm. Um, he's coaching me up as a teacher while he's coaching me up as a, as a high school football official. Mm-hmm. Um, then he put a college rule book in front of me after my first year of officiating like high school football. He said, hey, you have what it takes to go all the way. You know, you're going to surpass some of these guys. And so he really put that vision in front of me to be a college football official. Hmm. And so from that point on, after working high school, the, the natural progression is high school football. And then you work like maybe some junior college and okay. some D3, D2, work your way up to D1. Yeah. Myself, I went straight out of high school, straight to a Division One football field. Hmm. So in three years, three, three years of officiating high school football, I worked the state championship. And the year after that, I was working at Topless USA, hmm. which is pretty much unheard of it's almost like lebron taking that jump yeah, right yeah. because nobody really goes from high school straight to division one but the reason why i was afforded that opportunity uh again another white male who was my supervisor at conference mm-hmm. USA, he told me that he knew that if he didn't give me the opportunity now that i would get discouraged along the way because there were the area where i live in he goes they would not be kind to women and to especially to black women because there's just a lot of still that old mentality that it'll be difficult and he wanted to bring me under his wing before i was you know damaged or discouraged so i'm very appreciative of that not to cut you off but what's what's interesting about that as i'm thinking about it these gentlemen must have saw something in you that they knew like okay let's we need to keep you going forward because that just seems not odd but it's just like okay you, you should consider this and then you get to a certain stage and like you said another white male steps in and say no let's so forth and like that just it just it had to be something about your character and your personality where they saw something in you that said you know what she she's gonna she's gonna do some big things so but that's amazing well, I'm, it's, it's really to be to be an official you have to be very confident and mm-hmm. commanding right you have to be you know fit athletic and i just was able to check all those modes and then on top of that you know just being articulate because right. that's a huge part of the game is being able to talk to people and not being intimidated yeah. and so once you add all those things together you can learn football rules you can learn mm-hmm. the mechanics but it's just those intangibles that you're going to have to have yeah. and so Mr. Austin, when he took me to Conference USA, you know, I was just lucky enough that I had already started reading the college rule book before he took me in there. Mm-hmm. So Sean, who prepared me in high school, prepared me for college. Yeah. And then they were just fine-tuning me along the way. So it se- Did everything seem to happen fast? Because how you were explaining it, it seemed like everything was like a domino effect. Like you went from here to here to here and you were just kind yeah, of flowing. It did. Like, so first starting out, like I'll tell you right now, like three years state championship, one year later, I'm working division one. Most high school guys, it takes them five, 10, sometimes even, they don't even work a state championship. Mm. So I was able to, you know, work hard enough so that I can surpass my male counterparts to even qualify to do that. Um, then working division one football, I worked three years of that. Then I was interviewed by the NFL in 2013 and brought on to the development squad in 2014. So, so, but, yeah. so, so, so to to even interview for the NFL is that something you have to put in for like an application or do they find and seek you out how does that work they find you okay they, 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 they pretty much find you so it's like um, once you are like in that division one pool mm-hmm. um, they like supervisors they talk they say hey we have someone that that has the potential 
And at that time in 2013, I wasn't qualified to be in the National Football League, but they're just saying, hey, she has the potential to make it, which is that's how they really seek out their candidates. They look at the people who have the potential and then they work with them and they even decide if they're going to be a good fit or not. And, you know, once I got to the NFL level, you know, everything else was taking me three years and I was somewhere or five years and I was there. Yeah. It took me seven years of development in order to be ready to be hired. So... If, if things did happen fast yeah. but then it kind of hit a plateau yeah, after a while <laughs> so you know I, I was grinding grinding away working football for you know 13 14 years yeah. before I even got hired into the NFL so it seemed like it happened yeah quickly but I put in a lot of work for it I see you put in I mean you were grinding I mean you definitely mm-hmm. was grinding so so I guess as you're in that training and development, you were still, were you still working at the school while you were doing that or something you had to devote your still entire, work. okay, okay. Still, still working at the school. So I would work Monday through Thursday, maybe half a day on Friday mm-hmm. and then fly out on Friday to mm-hmm. work a college game on a Saturday and fly right back home on um, that Sunday. And I go back to work on Monday. Wow. And I, I did the same thing now, even as an NFL official and working with Achievable Dreams, mm-hmm. you know, the nonprofit I work with. My work weeks sometimes are 80 hours long because it's just the amount of time that you have to put in at work, yeah. um, you know, to do the job the correct way. Yeah. And then, you know, off the field, the work that you have to do off the field as well for preparation. Mm. So tell us about the time when you got the call that, OK, it's time, it's go time. We need you on the field and it's going to be this Sunday. Like, like, did they prepare you for that? Was it like, hey, you may be receiving a call or was it out the blue? Like, tell us about that moment. No, nah, it, it was totally out the blue. So, like, you know, being in development for seven years, you think you, you sit back and you watch so many people jump you and surpass you. And everybody that you work with, you finally see them get the call. Yeah. So I was just in a mode where I was just used to just existing. I was totally, I was like, I'm not going to get the call. They just keep me around, whatever. Mm. You know, in order to get in, we work the senior bowl, which is like the all-star game yeah. for college seniors that are getting ready for the draft. Yeah. And I had worked the senior bowl something crazy like six or five or six straight years. And everybody who I worked the senior bowl with got hired except for me. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so I had just finished working the senior bowl. I had a really good performance. I thought I felt good about it. I receive a, I'm at home playing 2K with my nephew I love NBA 2K <laughs> okay. <stuff. laughs> okay to a gamer okay I, I, there we know. go we got that I'm not, in there I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not a gamer I just play with my nephew just play with your nephew gotcha that's what makes it makes it you know, that's, that's, that's my excuse right right so mm-hmm. playing, I'm playing 2K and my phone rings at 9pm on a Monday night mm. I'm like who's calling me at 9pm on a Monday night so I look down this one of the vice one of the VPs is Wayne Mackey of the NFL uh-huh. and I've known Wayne, you know, outside of football. And 9 p.m. on a Monday night isn't odd to receive a football call, even just to talk about plays, because, you know, mm-hmm. Monday night football is on at that time. Right. So I answered I answer the phone, and he goes, how you doing? You know, I'm, I'm doing great. And he goes, we need to talk about your, your senior bowl performance. We have a meeting scheduled next week. I said, yes, sir, we do. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, you have a lot of work to do. And I was like, excuse me? Because I thought I had a really good game. Yeah. He goes, you have a lot of work to do. I says, okay. And he goes, you have a lot of work to do because you're a line of scrimmage official for the National Football League. Welcome to the NFL. Wow. So that's how the call. <laughs> he set it up to make it seem like, yeah, you not right, getting in again right, right, your kids. Right. So, and I couldn't believe it because, you know, like I said, I, this is something I worked very hard for. Yeah. And I just thought it never would happen. Mm. But 
So, so people who are in, I guess, in that training camp to become an NFL referee, are there people that never make it? Is it just you're just in there until they say otherwise? Like, how does what's the process? Like, as far as how does that work? Yeah. So, what happens with development process is they send you to like mini camps, training camps. Uh Um, you'll work a few preseason games. And then they'll decide if you're a good fit or not. Like if you, uh, you know, it's, there, it's, there really is no, I don't know the rhyme or reason behind it and how they scale that. Yeah. Um, all I know is that sometimes, you know, they, they, ro- they may roll you out. Like I was rolled out for a year where I didn't go to any events at all, but they were still watching me yeah. because I guess maybe they thought they brought me in a little too early. So they rolled me out for a little bit. They still watched me while I worked in the Pac-12 and mm-hmm. then they rolled me back in. Yeah. So I, I don't really know hmm. the formula for that. All I know is that when you're you're allowed a seat at the table, you try to do everything you can do the right way to make sure that you continue to eat, right? Yeah. yeah and so I even though I knew that I was rolled out for a little bit, I knew that I still had to put the work in it and be perfect at everything I did mm-hmm. in order to continue to still have a shot. Mm. And yeah, there there are some people who they decide, you know what, this is not a good fit, maybe you're just you're better off as a college official. And they, and so these are people that be in there for years. So they'll allow you to be in there for years, and then they finally just say, "You know what? I don't think this is for you." Or do they kind of let well, you know right no. away? Um, they, well, they give you a shot. They, you know, they 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 really give people maybe about like two years, two or three years. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's only there's only 122 spots. There are 122 NFL officials on the roster, mm-hmm. and this past year I was the only one that was hired because they only had one opening so the openings don't necessarily come all the time it's really hard to get in like somebody has to retire yeah. injured or whatever and some of these guys are professionals or a lot of us are professionals we all have other careers and yeah. sometimes their jobs just won't line up with what the NFL is offering at that time and they can't take the position yeah. you know so there are a lot of different factors that play into why somebody never makes it mm. Well, that was definitely the Lord that opened that door for you. You know that, right? That God definitely opened Absolutely. up that door for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I mean, when you said you know, it was only one spot, like, and you said it's 120, mm-hmm. it's like, that's it, it was it was destined. It was, this was for you to get in at this moment at this exact time. So that's that just blew me away. Um, yeah. So, what week was your first game? First game was week one, week and it one. was so week you one, started it, was- it off. And who was playing? What was the game that you uh um, officiated? Jets in Carolina. So we were at Carolina. Okay, and describe the feeling. I mean, was your heart pounding or did you go out there and you you just toughened it up like I'm finna this is my opportunity, I'm about to nail it, or were you ever like answering like, Oh my god, I hope I don't mess up a call. I hope I don't miss a call. It was hot. It was hot. <laughs> <laughs> but um no, like it like the adrenaline was right where it should be. Uh-huh. And I, I'll give you you know, the first flag I threw, I threw a holding call. That was the first flag I threw. Mm. And a veteran official on my crew came up to me and says, I passed on it. Like telling me really to pick my flag up. So, you know, mm. not to hat, not to throw. That it wasn't a foul. Mm. And so I looked at him and I said, I'm sticking with it. I just couldn't see myself the very first flag that I ever throw in a national football league. I can't see me picking it up and saying, no, no, no. It'd be an error. I don't want to yeah. Yeah. It's an error, right? So I said, I'm sticking with it. Yeah. And so my crew's like, all right, she's sticking with it. And they stuck behind me. Uh-huh. Now, when the when the grades came out, when it was evaluated, 
they understood why I threw it, but they they explained to me why they didn't want it thrown. Like it wasn't bad. Like okay. to the naked eye, it was a whole. The guy who was telling me to pick my flag up, he was a veteran. He worked many Super Bowls and he'd been around a long time, so he knows what the league wants. Yeah. But one thing that one thing that he told me, he you know my whole crew said, hey, you know it doesn't matter if you got it wrong. So I didn't get a bad mark against myself. This is we know why you threw it. Mm-hmm. But the, the beauty of it is you stuck with it and you had the confidence. Mm. And that's why you're here. Yes. Because you're gonna make your call. Yeah. And you know, and go ahead. No, no, no. I've said you didn't fold and that's good. Uh-uh. Yeah. And 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 that's that there's like you're ready, like you, when you can do things like that. Mm-hmm. So So how many games did you actually work? I had sixteen on field games this year. So So you did the there's eighteen much- weeks. Okay. So you pretty mm-hmm. much did the whole season. Yes, eight, 18 weeks. Yep. And we had two weeks off and then I had three preseason games. So I was on the field 19 times. Wow. And, yeah. um, <laughs> um, plus, plus training camp. I'll put right. Plus training. Wow. So, well, like I said, you've had what, 13, 14 years of, of training. So I'm not even going to ask you, were you ever intimidated being out there on the field? Never. 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 And, and that's why you got the position. You know, you wasn't intimidated. Um, so tell me this. What if there if there is any, what's your probably craziest experience this My year? Craziest experience? Being, yeah, being an efficient. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would tell you this. So we had training camp. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the second training camp I went to this year. Mm-hmm. We had training camp in Baltimore. Okay. And I left my shoes. I didn't have shoes to start training camp. <laughs> I came, I came, I came downstairs. We're, we're departing to go, you know, to, to go to work, and uh-huh. I come downstairs and flip flops in the pink pedicure. Oh, wow. and my my crewmates was looking at me like, "Where's your shoes?" So they gave me a hard time about that. So, yeah. the, you know, Baltimore they had to hook me up with shoes when I was in training camp, and then you know, I don't, I don't live too far from Baltimore. I had a friend of mine drive my actual pair of shoes up, so oh, I was able I to get some shoes. But now that's a friend yeah. right there. I need you to drive my shoes up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Say, say less. But I had, <laughs> I had I had no shoes, and then uh-huh. I, that was like the thing. Like the rookie forgot her. The, the rookie, the girl, she forgets her shoes. So uh, wow. Well, they had everybody that. in the whole training camp in on it too. Oh really? Was you embarrassed? Yeah. Or were you just like whatever? It's whatever. I'm like, no, oh. I'm not embarrassed. Oh, okay. just, you know, it is. It is what it is. Right. You know, the thing is when when you accept your fault. And you just hold yourself accountable for stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. Everybody's gonna forget something. Nobody's perfect. I agree. I agree. I'd rather forget them to train a camp than forget them to a game. There you go. Then that's that's a big deal. You can't come out to the on the turf with flip flops on and say, "Yeah, I forgot it." <laughs> so yeah, you're right about that. So um, have you had to make any lifestyle adjustments? So seeing that you the, you know, big dog for lack of a better word, you're out there on the field, you know, you, you're doing your thing. Like, um, what type of lifestyle adjustment? I see the gram, you got, you got your, your suitcases and you showing us week by week where you're going and you styling, you know what I'm saying? So what kind of lifestyle changes or adjustments did you have to make? If any. So that, that's a lifestyle adjustment because I'm really like, I don't want to say introverted, but mm-hmm. I'm really, um, I'm not really big on social media. And yeah. so you know when when somebody finds out who you are they want to know more about you and so that was an adjustment for me having to you know make posts Mm. and you know letting people in just a little bit yeah uh but uh, like other than that like my entire life has changed like nothing is the same like since the announcement was made um you know two new careers 
mm-hmm. being able to balance that, mm-hmm. um, being able to balance everyone looking at you, being, you know, underneath, having that scope on you is a little different. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you just take those things day by day. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. Now, since you um been officiating, did you face any type of discrimination or anybody that kind of looked at you sideways like, huh, this this rookie? Oh, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. From, from my, my entire career? No, just on the NFL absolutely. specifically. Yeah. In the NFL? No, I, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, they probably have, they probably have, but people there are really professional. Okay. And That's good. if they did have anything to say about it, I'm pretty sure they said some things behind my back, behind closed doors. But nothing was but, verbalized you know, to you? Nothing, no. Good. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I work with a really good group of guys mm-hmm. that have had my back and they kind of sort of scream that from me. And mm-hmm. I have, you know, my supervisors and stuff in there, my bosses and things there, they're really good too. So Now, here's a question that I have for you also. Um, that a lot of people may think because you kind of bringing us in the world of an of a officiator like on in the NFL, so it's kind of interesting. So, do you all get fined for missed calls? We we do not. Okay. We do not get fined for missed calls, but like I, you know, we do. We are evaluated. Yeah. Like any job you're at, we have job performance evaluation, mm-hmm. and so those things are taken into consideration when they make assignments. Like for you know playoff games and Super Bowl, all of that goes into your grade percentage. Yeah. So. Hmm. Well, it is a job. I mean, career. But you know, you gotta get evaluated. We all gotta get evaluation. So that's good. So, is there anything that you have to do as an NFL referee to qualify to work the Super Bowl? How does that work? Is it like a lottery? You put your like how how does that work? How do who picks who? How do they pick that? Seniority. So there, there's no lottery. No, there, there's no lottery. To be eligible, you have to have at least five years of experience on the roster mm. and you had to have where I'm going to get this wrong because I haven't even looked that far ahead yet for myself because I know I'm not <laughs> eligible okay. but I believe you had to have to at least work like a divisional game like the year prior okay so you had you you had to constantly perform like on a scale of excellence mm. and you know like I spoke about the evaluation process before everything is based on percentages right mm. so depending on and it's everything's out of 100. But those top tier officials that are working the Super Bowl, like their grade average is something ridiculous, like that 98.9% accuracy. Mm. And the 0.9 counts, like the, those tenths of a point count. You know, so even if you are like a 98.5, you may not get it because, you know, you're not that not. You might have seven people that are in 98.8 and then two people that are in 98.7. You see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really hard and mm. I, I I don't know if they actually rotate throughout there. People are constantly getting it. I have no idea but mm-hmm. you do have to reach certain criteria, you know, grade wise and you know, years experience in order to be eligible. Okay. Because I was curious about that because especially during the Super Bowl I saw some brothers out there. Now I did see the, the older gentleman but then I saw like a younger gentleman uh, I've seen a couple of brothers out there. I'm like, I've never seen them before, but they you can tell they were excited. Mm-hmm. They were happy. And I was just curious, like, okay, I wonder how do they, how does that work? We got all these NFL officiators and they're like, okay, I want you, 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 you. And that's it. And we come on. So that's good to know. Now, are, are you all, is it like a family? Like, do you all kind of know each other or um, like all the officiators in the NFL? Like, yeah, it's like a fraternity. Yeah, okay. Like just <laughs> football, football officiating because it's such a small community. Even yeah. like when we start talking about like the Division One college officials, because yeah. all their trainers are NFL officials, mm-hmm. it's like a frat. So everybody knows everybody mm-hmm. for the most part. 
you know, especially depending on what side of the world you live in. Mm -hmm. Like if I live on the East Coast, mm -hmm. I have connections with officials on the East Coast, mm. up and down. So okay, but then I also work on the West Coast and in, in the Pac-12, so I'm close to a lot of the, the California, LA yeah. <laughs> officials yeah. also. So. Okay, okay. So what are your plans, or, or how does it work? Um, when you when you are fishing, are you once you in? Are you in? Like, are you coming back next year? How does how does that process? What's, how does that work? So you, you, so as far as I know, I'm coming back next year. Okay. If if um your performance isn't up to standard, mm -hmm. um you'll pretty much receive a notice like at a certain time to let you know that they're not going to ask you back mm -hmm. or that you won't be rehired. So um that that's how that works. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So I mean, any anything can happen at any given time. Because mm -hmm. so if you're asking like about job security, job security as a official. It's not as secure as when you get tenured, like as a teacher or something like okay. that. Okay. Um, it's really, it's strictly performance based. And as you can see, like we're under a lot of scrutiny, yeah. like performance wise. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, we believe in God going to keep you there for a very long time. As long as you want to be oh, there. I'll be there. We're going to believe you're going to be there. So. <laughs> appreciate it. No problem. Miss um, Maya Shock, I really do appreciate you for uh, taking time out of your day and talking to me and the listeners today and just, um, just explaining your overall experience. You know, and uh, once again, we congratulate you on being the, the first black woman to become an NFL officiator. Keep doing great. You are you already know. I mean, you, you've been prepared for this. You know what I'm saying? Like, forget what the naysayers say, if any, because this is your first year. But you never know going down the line. Oh, she's still here. You know, and I can already tell. I can tell by your personality. You pretty, you pretty strong. You pretty tough mentally. Like, ain't nobody finna <laughs> get in my head and so forth. Plus, God prepared you for this moment. So, we, again, we just want to congratulate you and thank you again for taking time out to um, speak with us today. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I definitely appreciate it. Anytime. And hopefully, maybe next season, next year, we can get you back on because I want to hear how your second year as an NFL, maybe and see if your, your posture shifted. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Next year, let's see. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no. the second year. It was a little rough, you know what I'm saying? But nah, I might, I might really have my swagger then. Uh oh, like, yeah, like, uh oh, I hear you. I'll let y'all know. Nah, <laughs> nah, <laughs> nah, you good. <laughs> but uh, thank you all again for listening to Macchiato's music and descriptions. Remember to send your emails to podcasting at mmsmedia.org, and remember also that you can follow me on social media at mbills314. And as always, remember the Book of Romans chapter three verse four, latter verse: Let God be true, and every man be a liar. Until next time, I'm out.